Uh, so today is, uh, if you didn't know, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to, uh, to all the moms out there. Um, I know uh, Mother's Day, for, for some of you, it's, it is a very, very happy uh, day. Uh, for others of you, it might be um, just a weird day. It might be a hard day. It might be a sad day. So um, I invite us to, to bring all of our hearts and all that is within our hearts uh, just into a time of prayer together. Won't you pray with me? It's a holy, gracious God. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you on, on this day, uh, this day that is, that is filled with joy, this day that also for some of us might be filled um, with some pain as well. And God, we, um, we remember all of the moms and all forms of mothering in our time here today. And so Lord, for, uh, for those who gave birth this year, God, may we celebrate with them. And yet also, Lord, to those who maybe have lost a child this year through death or miscarriage or failed adoption or a broken relationship, Lord, help us to mourn with one another. God, to those who are uh, in the trenches with little ones right now, with too little sleep and too many questions, Lord, may we appreciate those mothers in our midst. God, to those who have lived through driving tests and medical tests and all the testings of motherhood, Lord, we are thankful for them and are better to have them here with us. To those who have walked the hard path of infertility, Fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, help us to walk alongside of one another. Lord, to those who are foster moms and spiritual moms and mentor moms, Lord, we thank you for them and we need more of them. To those who have warm and close relationships with their children, God, may we celebrate and find joy in that. And Lord, to those who have disappointment and heartache and distance from their children. Lord, help us to sit with them. To those who have lost their mothers or grandmothers or great-grandmothers this year, Lord, may we grieve with one another. To those who have become grandmothers or great-grandmothers or great-great-grandmothers this year, Lord, may we share their joy. To those who step-parent, Lord, help us to walk with them on this joyful and complex journey. God, to those who have returned to parenting their children's children, may we say just a word of thank you again. God, for those who have emptier nests this year, may we rejoice and also share in a little bit of that strange sadness as well. Lord, for those who are expecting new life, expected and maybe surprising, God, may we anticipate with them. Lord, on this Mother's Day, help us to be your church, to walk with one another. And Lord, we're just reminded that Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And so, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give guidance um, to us. 
Give guidance to the mothers in all forms that they might take. Give guidance to us as a church to help and support one another. And God, we thank you for a church where we are reminded that we are not alone in raising this next generation of disciples. And so Lord, help us to do just that. And God, in this time, in this place, help us to grow more and more as your disciples, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So um, I have this plant. It's actually now a tree in my front yard, and it's beautiful. It's got these green and purple leaves on it. And in the winter, it has these purple and white blooms that are just so gorgeous. I planted it about five years ago. But what I didn't know when I planted it five years ago is that this thing is indestructible. I mean, the tree itself is fine, but it actually ends up sprouting all over my front yard uh, that I noticed a couple of years ago that about 10 feet from where the trunk is now, about 10 feet from that, uh, another little sprout just popped up out of the ground. And then another 10 feet from that, another little sprout. And then another 10 feet, another little sprout. What I didn't realize when I planted this thing five years ago is that I had planted an invasive weed in my front yard that is now seeking to take over my entire house if I will allow it. And so every spring I have to go out, I have to cut this thing back and I have to get down on my hands and knees and I have to pull up all of these little alien shoots that are popping up all over the yard. The only way for me to end this plant's annoying, indestructible existence is for me to get down on my hands and knees and dig it up by the roots. Now, here's the problem with that. <clears throat> I hate doing it. <laughs> I hate yard work. I just do. I know that there are some of you that you have this like twisted, sadistic sense that you actually enjoy it. You think yard work is some form of like penance for you to earn your salvation through dirt and sweat and working the ground. Hey, that's fine for you. But I know Jesus. <laughs> And I believe in grace and I don't need that in my life. But the problem just keeps coming back year after year, season after season. And it keeps coming back because I don't want to do deal with the root issue. I don't want to get dirt under my nails. And just when I think that I have stopped this invasive spread, gotten down to the root 10 feet away, it just pops up again, taunting me. And I would argue, I would argue that that's kind of how it works with anxiety and depression, that, that it's this thing planted in the garden of our souls that just won't go away. And the only thing to get it gone is to get down on our hands and knees and dig it up by the roots. And for some of us, for some of us, those roots run deep and they are dug in deeply to the very core of our being. And a little anxiety and depression shoots up here and there in this part of our life and that part of our life until maybe one day we realize that it has taken over our entire life. We have to deal with the roots. If not, 
It keeps coming back year after year, season after season. So we have to get down, do the hard work and rip up the roots. That's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 42. Last week, we talked about Psalm 42, how it's this prayer for healing from uh, depression and anxiety. And the author asked this probing central question in Psalm 42. He asks, why? Why? Take a look at verse five of Psalm 42. It's, it's why, why I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. In fact, he repeats that question three times throughout the prayer. Why are you so depressed? Three times. In modern English, if you want to emphasize a point, you do what? You, you underline it, you bold the text, you italicize it, you highlight it. In ancient Hebrew, if you want to emphasize a point, do you know what you do? You repeat it. <laughs> so he repeats this three times. Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? In verse 5, why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? In verse 11, same thing in verse 5 of Psalm 43. We think that Psalm 42 and 43 were originally one. They got split up over time. Long story short, why, I ask myself, are you so depressed hope in God three times. The author is trying to drive home this point. Here's the question that I'm wrestling with. Here's the question that I'm asking of myself. And if you need this healing too, I beg you to ask this question as well. Why, why am I so depressed? Well, why am I so down? Why am I so weary and worn out and exhausted? Why? Or another way to put it, what's causing my depression? What, what, what's causing my anxiety and worry and exhaustion? What, what's the root issue? What's, what's deep down in my soul that's making me like this? Why? That's the question. Now, let me explain this here. And this is a very, very big caveat. So please just like pay attention to this. Look, I am not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor, a therapist, any of that. I am just a follower of Jesus. And, and I 100% believe that in mental health issues, there's things like hormones and neurons and brain chemistry and physicality and all of that stuff. 100%. I believe all of that. If you were here last week, I shared a little bit about my own uh, struggles with this um, issues of depression and anxiety, how my brain uh, was kind of like a lighter that just gets used too much that it clicks and it flicks, but it never actually catches flame. That's about the best that I can do for a medical explanation. So, so hear me out. I'm just approaching this issue from a different angle, from a spiritual angle, because guess what? That's kind of what I'm proficient in. And, and I also believe that when we do talk about mental health, we have to talk about our spiritual health as well, because that's how God created us. God did not create us to be fragmented between mind and body and soul and heart. No, God created us as whole beings. And our soul is what connects every part of us and holds everything together. Your soul, it's kind of like the operating system on your computer or your phone. 
you don't really notice it until something goes wrong and you refuse those updates, you know, too often. Your soul is kind of that way. You don't notice it until something goes wrong. But when something goes wrong with your soul, everything gets messed up and none of the applications work anymore. In Hebrew, the word for soul is nefesh. It's a fun word to say, nefesh. Uh, It refers to all of us. Actually, uh, it refers specifically to kind of this part of us, like, like your throat area, because it's believed that's where life comes into us. That's where breath, air comes into us. It's where food, water comes into us. It's also where we come out of ourselves, where we express what's inside of us. It's, it's that whole what goes down into the well comes up in a bucket thing that we talked about last week. So I'm addressing mental health issues, not as a disease, not because that's not true. Believe that 100%. Absolutely, that's true for many people that I know. But I'm addressing these things as symptoms for something that's deeper, for, for a problem that might be deeper, more, more below the surface. But anxiety, depression can be like those shoots that pop up and we need to get down to the roots. We need to get down to the soul. Why, my soul, are you downcast? That's another translation that the psalmist asks in Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, the list of causes is endless. If you were to give me a thousand different people, I could give you a thousand different causes for anxiety and depression. But I want to break down the causes into just two very uh, elastic, very broad categories. Those categories are sins and struggles. These are uh, the same causes that, uh, that for depression and anxiety that Christians over the centuries have talked about. Uh, one of the most famous is St. John of the Cross, who wrote this uh, little but very powerful book called The Dark Night of the Soul, where he journals his own battle with depression. And he asks that same question that's asked in Psalm 42, why, why my soul are you downcast? So, Sins and struggles, the two categories uh, for reasons of depression, anxiety, a brief word on each of them. By sins, I mean clear, blatant, black and white areas of disobedience. It's where you, you know what's right and wrong, but you don't do what you know you ought to do. Instead, you do the wrong thing. And here's what you have to understand is that depression, feelings of depression, depressive feelings can actually be a good thing. Now, hear me out before you crucify me up here, okay? Um, Because, because, uh, listen, because I I don't want to be fielding emails from everyone because you didn't hear me correctly. Sometimes, sometimes, not all of the time, but sometimes a depressed feeling can be a symptom of our sin, of our disobedience. Now, now please hear me say depression, anxiety, mental health issues. They are not sin in and of themselves. I'm not saying that at all. I'm actually just saying the inverse of that, that the depression can sometimes be a symptom of sin that is taking up just too much space in our lives. 
Jesus taught us that if we want to have life to the full, this abundant life that he came to offer us, then we need to follow his ways. And when we don't follow his ways, we find that, well, our life just isn't that full. So a feeling of depression can be a symptom of sinning, meaning that it can actually be a quote unquote good thing. Here's what the apostle Paul says in second Corinthians chapter seven. He says, godly sadness, godly sadness produces a changed heart in life that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, but sorrow under the influence of the world produces death. God created us as emotional creatures. And so sometimes our emotional downness, depression, worry, anxiety, it can be like a warning alarm that something is wrong in our souls. Sort of like how physical pain is, is a trigger to tell our brains that something is wrong. Like you put your hand on a hot stove and it goes, ow, 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 take your hand off the stove. You're burning yourself. You're on fire. I think in the same way, it's God's way of sounding the alarm in your soul. Listen up. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Stop, stop before you cause any more damage to your soul. You go around slandering people and gossiping and holding on to bitterness and keeping grudges. And you think, why am I so depressed? Why my soul? Are you so downcast? Well, you're acting like a miserable human being. What else do you expect? I think that one of the, the tap roots of depression is bitterness. I know that that was the case for me in some of my depressive episodes that I just held on to bitterness and it ate me up inside. And yes, there was all the other stuff playing a factor as well. Keeping secrets can do the same thing that lying that will sap the energy right out of your soul and leave you just feeling anxious because when you're caught up in a lie, what questions do you ask? You ask, well, what if, <laughs> well, what if they find out, did I convince them? Did they buy the lie that I tried to sell them? That doesn't sound like the thoughts of a happy person, does it? And yet isn't the exact opposite of that true that when you act selflessly, when, when, you, when you give back, when you help someone, when you're generous, don't you actually usually feel good about that? And then sometimes you feel guilty about feeling good for doing something that you know that you ought to have done in the first place. Don't feel guilty about that. You're, you're just living the Jesus way of life and that's joy coming into your life. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. And I could go on and on and on, but the question really though is this, why? Why? why, why are you depressed, down, stressed out, exhausted, anxious? Could it be, could it be that, that just maybe, just maybe you've got some sin in your life that is spreading and trying to take control of the garden of your soul or, and this gets into uh, the struggles part a little bit here, or could it be the sins of others? The, the things that, that other people have done to you to, to hurt you, abuse, betrayal, neglect, slander, all of that can cause your soul to be downcast. 
Again, you just have to ask yourself that question. Why? Why is my soul so downcast? Is, is there something? Is there something in my past that I haven't quite dealt with yet? And maybe depression, anxiety is, is a sign that you've got to deal with the pain of your past so that you can find healing now and healing in your future. Maybe, maybe depression and anxiety, it's a symptom of a past sin done to you. But hear me, you don't have to stay trapped there anymore. As a pastor, I, I, get, I get this unique experience to sit on the front row and watch the struggle between good and evil, brokenness and healing. And I'll tell you, because I've witnessed it, that God's story of redemption always wins. Even, even if we can't see it in the moment, even if we can't see it in this season or the next season, I believe that God is always at work trying to squeeze as much good out of the worst things that come from our lives. So enough about sins. Moving on to the next category of reasons, struggles. By struggles, I mean patterns of behavior or thought. And these, these are usually harder to spot or a little bit more gray areas of our lives. And so I figured I'll, I'll just share with you some of my uh, struggles and see if you relate to these. There could be a bunch more that we could talk about, but here is just the first one. Um, first one is, is perfectionism. Um, so any, any other perfectionists out there? Yeah. Good. You've got a friend in me, but you don't want me because I'm not good enough for you. <laughs> right. That's how perfectionists operate. Right. Nothing is ever good enough. And at least not being yourself. Perfectionism leads to feeling like nothing is ever good enough. You are never good enough. I was part of a uh, leadership class one time and I had to take this personality test, um, but it was a personality test uh, based on how we function, how I function under stress and pressure. And I got my results back. I was kind of reading through it in the book and, and it said this, it said uh, this person, this type of person, meaning me, I, Jason, uh, this person becomes hypercritical under stress, critiques everything and is suspicious of new information that challenges his or her perception. And I kid you not, I started looking up who wrote this book and who wrote this test because they don't know what they're talking about, obviously. I thought, oh, right, there's my sign. Okay, yeah. You see, perfectionism is a recipe for misery because life is just not perfect. We live in a fallen and falling world. Life is not perfect. End of story. So quit expecting it to be perfect and enjoy the good enough moments that are here now. The other struggle that might relate to you is uh, narcissism. Now, uh, narcissism, um, nobody thinks that they're a narcissist, especially narcissists themselves. Um, but we typically think when we think, you know, someone's narcissistic, we think, you know, megalomaniac. We think people that are just obsessed, image obsessed, you know, the rock star people, power hungry. Um, but 
you all, we all, we're all narcissists at one point in our lives because we were all toddlers. Narcissism is just an obsession with yourself with totally no concern for anyone else, being oblivious to anyone else. Does that sound like a toddler or not, right? And so listen, if the focus is always on you, then of course your soul is going to be downcast because it flies in the face of everything that Jesus teaches us. Everything that Jesus taught about loving one another, loving our neighbor, showing hospitality, taking up our cross, saying no to ourselves and sacrifice. Paul summarizes it this way in Philippians chapter two. Paul says, don't do anything. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. We'll get to that. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Does that come easy to anyone? I mean, I know it does for all the moms who are here today because like, that's just what you do and it's Mother's Day. So I got to give you all a shout out, like good, good for you. Um, my wife, uh, Jenny, she is legit 100% that way, watches out for what is better for others. She's, she's great at that. I'm not, that's not me. And it's not that I'm cruel. It's not that I'm prideful or anything. It's just that my first instinct is usually about It was about me and I have to fight against that. Now, Paul says that with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Let me explain that for a moment. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less, meaning thinking of yourself less often. And so sometimes, sometimes we, we try this like false sense of humility where someone compliments you and say, oh, you did such a great job. And we say, oh, no, that was that was nothing. You know, I could have done better. It really wasn't all that great. And they don't No, no, it was great. It was great. And then we go, no, no, it really wasn't. And, and that's that's not humility. That that's warped pride. <laughs> Because really, we, we just want more compliments. Hey, hey, you were great. Oh, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Compliment me more. Tell me more. Try to convince me otherwise. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, you were great. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. That's not humility. That's warped pride. It's a subliminal way of trying to get more and more attention. You see, pride is a mirror where humility is a window. Pride is always about you, good or bad. But humility is when you get lost in the needs of the people around you. And sometimes, sometimes the best medicine for your downcast, your weary soul is to just stop looking in the mirror, open up the window and go serve, help somebody else. Self-care, rest, yoga, herbal tea, yes, all of that stuff. But sometimes, sometimes we, we just need to get out of ourselves and try to address the needs of those around us, help those in our midst. And, and in doing so, we might find help ourselves. Okay, we could spend 
the rest of the day just talking about that, but we, we got to move on. Last one. Um, there could be a dozen more, but let me just give you one more. Uh, last one is guilt and it's ugly, twisted sister shame that when you are so consumed with what you have done in the past, guess what? It leaves you stuck there, stuck in the past, unable to move forward. Or what happens is when guilt gets twisted and turns into shame, where you begin to think, you know, I, I did bad and therefore I am bad. I, I not only did wrong, but I am wrong. That's shame corrupting your identity. And please hear me here. That is not who God says that you are. God says that you are a beloved child and the cross says that your sins are forgiven, that God has cast your sins from you as far as the East is from the West, that 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 is gone. God has gotten rid of it. That controls you no longer. You don't have to keep living with it. God forgives. And so Jesus tells this um, very interesting story that I think just kind of connects and applies to all of this. This is one of my favorite uh, stories of Jesus. It comes from uh, the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. It says, Jesus, he said, Jesus said many things to them in parables. He said, a farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seeds, some fell on the path and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Okay, pay attention to what? Is Jesus trying to give us some horticultural advice here? Okay, no. Okay, we, we got to pay attention to this. Whenever you see a story like this in the Bible, it's always helpful to try to recognize uh, the constants and the variables in the story to understand Jesus's point. So the seed is a constant in the story. It's not a story about good seed and bad seed. It's just seed. The seed will take root if it's given half a chance. And the seed, Jesus says, is just a little picture of God's kingdom. It's it's a little picture of Jesus's good news. The sower is a constant. It's not a story about a good sower or a bad sower or a bad farmer. The first thing that we notice about the sower is how generous he is. He's just throwing seed just recklessly everywhere, not caring about where it lands. Jesus says the sower, the sower is me. And all the soils are are given the same opportunity to receive the same seed. It's the soil that gets interesting because it's the soil that is the variable in the story. And, And I think that you could just exchange the word soil for soul and you would understand Jesus's story here. Because really what Jesus is calling us to reflect upon is, is this, how receptive is my soul? How, how open is my soul? How healthy is my soul? Is it hardened? Is it shallow? Is it cluttered? 
or is it good? Is there just a word about each of those, the, the hardened soil or the hardened soul? The first seed that falls on the ground falls on a path. It's the path where people walk, sheep walk, animals walk to go and get water. The path has become hard and dry from being traveled on. And our souls can get that way sometimes as well. That that our souls become hardened because we've been hurt. Because we've been disappointed and let down. And when we're hurt and disappointed, our natural tendency is to clam up and to protect ourselves. We put another layer on, our skin gets a little bit thicker, but over time we find that we've just become so calloused and hard. And in an attempt to defend ourselves against the bad things that come our way, we also end up blocking ourselves from the good things that come our way as well. The good seed to come in to our lives. We, we end up keeping people and God at an arm's length. That if we have a hardened soul, we might find ourselves becoming cynical and bitter and suspicious or envious. And, and if I'm honest, I, I'm most susceptible to becoming like the hard soil. I'm most susceptible to having a hardened soul. It's that part of me that, that just doesn't want to forgive. Even though I know I've been forgiven, trust me, I've read the Bible. I know that I should. I know that I have been. It's that part of me that just doesn't want to. That part of me that becomes cynical or jealous or standoffish or, or, or thinking that I could do it better on my own if everybody else would just leave me alone. Now, I know none of you all get that way ever. I'm not talking about your soil. I'm not talking about your soul. I'm talking about mine. Jesus said, those who have like hardened souls, says they're, they're in danger of the evil one coming and snatching that good seed away from us. But the good news is that for those of us who, who are susceptible to having hardened souls, The good news is that the seed is strong. The good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the message of hope and peace in life. It's a strong message, stronger than we can think that that you've seen this before. That one small seed can crack and uproot an entire sidewalk, an entire road. You've seen this before, no matter how hard that seed can be stronger if it's given just enough room. But it's not just those with hardened souls that need to watch out. Jesus says there's another kind of soil, another kind of soul. It's the shallow soul, a soul that's superficial, It has the ability to receive the seed and allow it to grow, but never actually mature. And I think shallowness is the curse of our culture, that that we are stretched way too thin with an abundance of information and entertainment and technology and excitement. And none of those things are, are inherently bad, but what the soul needs is some depth not just more tuning out and vegging out and binge watching. So often we are like a mile wide and just an inch deep. For so much of our lives, we live in the shallows and we don't explore the depths of who we are until 
a crisis or a birth or a death that happens to us. And then we find ourselves cast into the deep waters of our soul. And we're there for a moment, but we so quickly want to retreat back to the shallow waters where it seems easier, seems safer to tread there. But, but if we never explore the depths of our souls, of, of who we are, then we'll never allow the seed to take deep roots. And I found, I found that my soul becomes shallow when my thoughts, when my prayers, when my interests go just no further than myself. That, that Jesus warns those of us who have shallow souls that, that when trouble comes, when things don't go our way, when we've been so busy focusing on ourselves, that, that when life gets hard, we'll quickly fall away from the faith. But here's the good news. The seed is bigger than we think. That just when the seed seems like it can't go down any further, it starts to go out wider and wider. The third type is a cluttered soul. Jesus said, other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew up and choked them. Jesus said, this is the condition where the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for things choke out the soul because the soul is just too cluttered. And we live in a cluttered world and a cluttered soul might be the most dangerous one because it's so subtle. Too often we make the mistake by confusing the clutter of life with life itself. Let me ask you, if, if we were to cease to be busy, would we think that life was still meaningful? If we were to cease to be busy, would we still matter? Our, our culture is obsessed with this, thrives on this. We, we pass around resumes and slap on bumper stickers. We constantly update our statuses and hunt for success and lifestyle and symbols and gossip and Instagram and all of that stuff. All the while, our soul might be being choked out and we don't even notice that it was gone. And so what if, what if the most, the thing that matters most in your life is not what you achieve, not what you fill your life with, but who you become. So the good news of this is that the seed is more persistent than we think that if we can clear it out just enough clutter, that seed will take root, shoot up, blossom and bear fruit. The last one is the good soul, the good soil. Jesus said a few verses later when he was explaining this, he said, as for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce. In one case, a yield of 101, in another case, a yield of 60 to one, and in another case, a yield of 30 to one. Our souls always long to be the good soil, the place where God's word, the teachings of Jesus, the message that brings us hope and life and peace allows it to flourish. Our souls long to be like the good soil. And so... What is it about the good soil that allows all of this to take root and bear fruit? What, what, what makes the good soil healthy? And more importantly, how do we get there? We go back to Psalm 42 and we ask why. 
Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. Here's the thing. Hope makes us like the good soil. And I know that's cliche, but we're going to talk about it more next week. Bummer, I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger, okay? I, I know, but, but hope. We'll talk about it more next week, how to cultivate that. Here's what I want to leave you with. I'm, I'm leaving you with some, some homework. Your soul does not have to stay hardened. It doesn't have to stay shallow or cluttered. It can become good. There is hope, but it does mean that you're going to have to do the hard work. You're going to have to get down on your hands and knees. You're going to have to get some dirt under your fingernails. You're going to have to aerate the ground. You're going to have to drive the plow right through the middle of your soul so that it can breathe. So for today, I'm just going to leave you with some homework. If you feel like any of this is connecting with you, has connected with you, then you have to answer that question. Why? Why? What, what might be causing me to feel this way? That, that's the question that we have to answer before we can move forward. And so next week, join us. We're, we're going to talk about how to cultivate hope into our souls. But, but for right now, let's sit with that uncomfortable question. Why? And let me pray for us. So God, Lord, you know us Lord, better than, than we know ourselves. And you, God, you, you understand and you see the garden of our souls here before you. Lord, you know all of those hard places, those shallow places, those cluttered places. And God, you see the good places as well. Lord, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come till the soil of our souls. Dig up those roots, dig up those weeds and help us to receive your message of hope. Holy Spirit, help us to understand and ask ourselves why. Give us to one another for, for wise counsel and feedback that we can't just do this alone. And Lord, open ourselves up to the needs of those around us, our neighbors, our brothers, and our sisters, our community, our world. God, help heal us and make us whole. Or not, not for our glory, but so that we could bear fruit of your spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that, Lord, we want more of it. This world needs more of it. So Lord, won't you come and do your saving, your healing work in us. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.